Well, I hate to be the interrupter of such good conversation, but somebody's got to do it. They, they picked me to be that guy. Um, yeah, so as I said a little bit ago, um, and Lainey introduced me, I'm James Gerber, the student ministries pastor here at New Hope, and I'm so glad to get to share with you this morning. Uh, we're continuing part two of our series, The Jesus Storybook Bible. And I, Isaac started off the series last week and really framed for this idea that Jesus the Jesus Storybook Bible says, which is this, that every story whispers the name of Jesus. Each and every part of the scripture somehow shows us some aspect of who Jesus is. And when we put Jesus in the middle of it, it makes sense of what is going on. So the creation narrative is no exception. Um, the creation narrative, as told in the first two chapters of the book of Genesis, um, does this really well. And my hope is that as we take a look at the creation narrative we will be, get a better understanding of a few things. Who we are, how God sees us, and what it means for us right now as followers of Jesus. So before we jump in, let me pray. Lord, we want to hear from you. So would you speak to us through your word? We give you this time. We ask that you'd be our teacher. We're open to your Holy Spirit and what you might say to us and teach us. This morning, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we usually do, we're going to stand and read the scripture together. I'm going to start by reading this long scripture in Genesis all by myself, and then we'll read a scripture all together after that. So starting in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 31, it says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be your food. Yours for food. There we go. I can do it. See, I'm doing it on my own, guys. We'd be a disaster if we were all doing this, right? And to all the beasts of the earth, uh, and to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all of the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that He made, and it was very good. Okay, so let's read this scripture all together. On three. One, two, three. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you guys can be seated. So a few, a few years back, I partnered with a friend of mine to make a custom guitar. And by partnering with my friend, I mean I basically pointed at things and chose things, and he did all the good work, and I just got the fruit of his labor. So um, basically, this guy, Andrew, is a craftsman. He does incredible, really, really, really good work. He's a luthier. He's an artisan. He puts effort and energy and care and precision into all of the work that he does. And he is not a guy that takes shortcuts. Let me show you what I mean. Here's the guitar right here. It's pretty, right? It's a gem. I don't know if you even knew before right now that it is a custom piece that I picked every 
part of and had my friend Andrew build. This is a this is a one of a kind Rizzy venture. My friend's name is Andrew Rizzy, a Rizzy venture, and the 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 tagline of his company is all American blood, sweat, and soul. That's that hits right. That hits real good. Okay, so. Um, the details are where this guitar really shines, if you can continue to look at it as I describe it. Um, he consulted me several times along the way to make sure that we got everything just right, from the color to the little components to the issues we might have with suppliers to little adjustments we had to make, all the little things. And, and it's truly a custom guitar. The thing that's interesting about the guitar is that, you know, for some guitar builders, they just, they get some body that's already made, they get some neck that's already made, and they bolt them together and they say, ah, oh, it's a custom guitar. That's not what he did. He made the body from scratch, cut it from a piece of wood in his shop. He made the neck completely from scratch with all of the details, the, the inlay, the rosette on the backside, all of the, the, the beauty of it. Um, and he used really high quality components and, and wood. For example, the, the fretboard is ebony, right? And it's tougher to find ebony that's purely black. And so a lot of times people use ebony and they, they put stain on it and go, oh, it's really dark ebony. Well, not this one. This is legit ebony and it was not stained. It's just as it is because it's really good, really good equipment. And on top of that, the finish, the finish he used nitrocellulose, he used a nitro finish, which is a higher quality, more expensive. And one of the things that's interesting about nitro finish is that unlike polyurethane, which dries like in 30 minutes and you're like, rock and roll, this guitar's ready to go. It takes like a month for that to cure. It took like a month with layer after layer, slowly, and over time, it's, if, you do, if you try to put stuff on it early or touch it too early, you're going to put a fingerprint on it because it takes a, like a solid month for it to cure. So it was long and slow and took a while, and I had to be patient, and the end result is this beautiful guitar with the finest materials, this trim system, this little, this little bridge here. These pickups are arguably some of the best on the market. So he did an incredible job, no shortcuts. And he ended up making a few guitars that were custom ones for guys that are like worship leaders. And he charged me a fraction of what he should have charged. You know, don't get me wrong. Like people should be paid what they're worth, right? Like don't start asking for discounts. People should get paid what they're worth. But it was for him as a ministry. So he was excited that he got to do this. And he used his work, guitar building, as a way to give God glory and to show to just bless people. It was, his, it was his ministry. So there's something that is beautiful about this. Um, the care and the precision. Th this is the care and precision that was taken by a human, right? To make a guitar. Just a human making all the energy, all the care. And there's something beautiful about that. There's something right about that. Like, I think it's woven in, into who we are to create and take the kind of care to create things like that. And I would argue that this is the kind of care that God took when he made us. And I would argue that this is also a picture of who God made us to be as well. And what we'll find as we dive further into this Genesis text, this narrative of creation and in the rest of the scripture is that a couple things. We were created good, as Lainey said in the video, said, with care and love, and intention, and detail, and precision. And we were created to do good, to do good for others with the same kind of love and care and intention that God used when he made each of us. So for many of us, that all resonates, right? Like, man, I was made in God's image. 
I'm beautiful masterpiece, obviously. Like, bam, let's go. Let's do some good stuff. But for some of us, and maybe many of us at times, this doesn't quite ring true. For some of us, it's hard for us to imagine the idea that we were made good, that there's anything special about us, that, that God would even use us to do good things, and that's maybe foreign. And maybe, maybe it's your past. Maybe it's something that you've done that you're ashamed of that's creating that hesitation. Maybe it's a voice in your head that says, you're bad, you're not good, you're worthless. Maybe it's a voice of a spouse or a teacher or a parent, or somebody that did harm to you in your life. Whatever it is, I want you to hear this this morning as we begin, as we, as we continue through. That might be your starting point today, but that's not God's starting point. To get a full picture of God's love for us and intention for us, we need to look back to the beginning. So over the last couple of weeks, I started reading through the Genesis uh, narrative getting ready for this teaching. And as I looked through the Genesis narrative, I immediately recognized something that I bet most of you heard and noticed when we listened to the Jesus Storybook Bible video. And it was this. Everything that God created was good. What God created was good. And he was really happy with what he created. And he was really pleased, very pleased with what he had made. And he loved what he had made. And for time's sake, I'm not going to reread the first 25. We didn't read it. The first 25 verses of Genesis, but you're going to have to take my word for it. At least five times, five times, depending on the version that you have. In the first 25 verses, God calls what he creates good. And before he creates, or right after he creates humans, in verse 27, that's all before he creates humans in verse 27. And then we get to verse 31. And guess what he says? It says this in verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And if you're taking notes, that leads us to our first point this morning. God created us good. In fact, all he created was very good, including us. And it turns out that human beings were actually the pinnacle of his creation, his best work, and he was pleased with what he had made. And the story of scripture begins with God saying that we are good. God was pleased with the work that he had done. He created Adam and Eve and he was pleased. He created you and me and he was pleased with the work that he did. He was pleased with the work that he did when he created you, each person in this room. And the psalmist describes it like this. For you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your words are wonderful. I know them that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So when he made you, he didn't make a mistake. He wasn't asleep at the job. He was more like my friend Andrew, who used precision and care to make you exactly like you were. And this is stunning when it says in the Psalms. Like, this Psalm is stunning. It tells us that God made us carefully and wonderfully and with intention and with detail and precision. Who's ever knitted before? Anybody knitted in the room or crocheted? 
That's low-hanging fruit. A little lower, a little lower. Crocheted. It's precision work. It's fine detail work, right? Like the fine detail that went into fretting this guitar. Verse 16 goes on to say, it also gives us the idea that he formed us with a future in mind. So we're actually good, created with intentionality and precision for a purpose in the future. But why is this? What is it that makes, what is it that makes us good and special and made for something unique to the rest of creation? And the answer is this. Because unique to everything else that God had created, right? He spoke all these things into existence and he made all this, he made all this stuff before he decided to make humans. Unique to all of that, he made humans in what? His likeness, right? He modeled humans after himself. And the narrative tells us that we are formed in God's image, which takes us to part, to point number two. We were made in God's image. So the writer of Genesis says this, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay, so the word image there, the phrase image of God is really interesting. Uh, They actually say something about how God views us and something about what God intends for us to do as humans. And packed into one word is both our identity and our calling. Okay, so let's... Let's take a look at this. There's a, a book that I just recently reread, and it says this on the topic. It says this. The word image is salem in Hebrew, and it can be translated idol or statue. An idol is a visible representation of an invisible being. A statue was put in the temple of every god in the ancient world so that, so that the worshipers could see what that god was like. We are God's statues, his salem. We were put on earth because the entire cosmos is, is, is this God's temple, to make visible the invisible God, to show the world what God is like. We are the creator's representation to his creation. So to sum it up, we were made in God's image or his salem. So by default, without even trying or even being a Jesus follower, gasp, right? without even being a Jesus follower, we are demonstrating some aspect of who God is and what he is like, which is really interesting. And that means a couple things. It means we have value. It also means that every other person has value. Every other person has value. Let's say it together on three. One, two, three. Every person has value. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, every person has value. Okay, but if you're like me, the skeptic comes up, right? You're probably asking the question in the back of your mind that I, that came to my mind, which is, what about, what about like that person? You know, you know that person, that person who is hard to get along with, that person who is terrible, that person who is mean, that person who it's hard to get along with for you or for anybody or for everybody, right? I'm glad you asked. I was recently hanging out with some friends and family, and we were just having a conversation, and, and someone said this phrase, that person is trash. They said, that person is trash. And someone in the group gently challenged him and said, that's, that's pretty harsh. Like, that's pretty, 
unkind. And I, I don't think that's untrue. I don't think that's true at all. And he, he doubled down. He's like, no, dog, that person is absolute garbage. They're not even worth my time. Which was jarring. It felt jarring for me because, because it's not what I've heard. It's not what I've read right here. It just did not ring true. And what he was really saying was that person doesn't have value, right? Okay. So here's the thing though. If, if I'm reading between the lines, I think what he was really saying, but didn't have language for, and maybe you can use this language in the future, was that person wasn't representing the image of God very well. They were not imaging Jesus very well. They weren't trash. They just weren't good at imaging God. So this is, this is key for us. There, th- this is where it gets really interesting and even a little bit complex. So, you just, so stick with me. Okay. God's intent, I want you to hang on to that. God's intent was that humans would show the world what God is like, that we would image him. Not only that, but that we would do it perfectly, right? If you're taking notes, God's original intent for humans was that we would show the world what God is like perfectly to image him, right? Adam and Eve, where'd they start? Perfect, right? They're exactly as intended. But the question is then, do, do we do that? Like, do we image God perfectly? Because we're, like, we're Christians. And, well, the answer is no. But the answer is also a little bit yes. At times, yes. So no and yes at the same time. And why is that? That's because we live in a post-Genesis 3 world. Okay, so if you're unfamiliar with that language, that is Genesis chapter 3 is the time in which sin entered the world. It's where the, our image got a little bit distorted, where the human image got distorted. This is where we began to fall short of imaging God properly. This is where we started to live out what we thought was best for our flourishing, not what God knew to be true and best for our flourishing. And this is what we all struggle with right now. Every single person in this room struggles with that, right? Am I alone? I'm the only person that struggles with sin and imaging God properly? Yeah, we all do. This is where we're all at today. So the question is, how on earth are we supposed to represent the image of God and show people what he is like when we are fallen a fallen version of what God intended. Okay. This is where the story begins to whisper the name of Jesus. And this is key because there is a gap between what we were made to do and what we naturally do. There's a gap between what we were made to do and what we actually do, right? When we put Jesus in the middle of the story, it all begins to make a little bit more sense. See, there's only one that can and has imaged God perfectly, right? That imaged God the Father perfectly, the way it was always intended to be, the way that Adam tried to but couldn't, the way that we try to but couldn't, the way that we are supposed to but couldn't. And that person is, of course, the right answer is Jesus. That's true. That person is Jesus. Jesus. Remember what Jesus said about himself. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? 
Colossians 1.15, he says, it says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So Jesus both showed us what God is like and, we are, and, and how we are to live to image God. And what is Jesus like? Shout some stuff. What's Jesus like? Compassionate, kind, loving, humble, yeah. He's full of love and joy and peace and patience and all the stuff in fruit, everything in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. Our kids and middle schoolers and high schoolers know that. They, we go through it all the time. That's what Jesus is like. He's humble, yep. Something Isaac said in his message last week stuck with me. He said, Jesus reformed distorted creation. He brought the love to people. He brought love to people by healing them and restoring them to how they were created to be. See, not only did Jesus live the life we couldn't live, but through his death and resurrection and the forgiveness of our sins, he gave us the opportunity and the calling to once again image God and show people what he is like. Um, the Apostle Paul said it like this, and it, and it helps us to bring a little more clarity, make a little more sense. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, as in if anybody has put their trust in Christ, who's believed in Christ, if anybody was in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then Paul also says this in Romans 8.29. He says, for this for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And so by placing your trust in Jesus, we begin a process of beginning to be healed, right? Sanctification, right? We, we become a new creation. And over time, we begin to look a little bit more like Jesus, hopefully. We become people of love, from the inside out, right? We're full of joy and peace and patience and all of the things that Jesus is. And we begin to more regularly image God. And here's the thing. Our transformation, though, isn't just for us, right? Our transformation isn't just for, what Jesus did isn't just for our salvation. It's also for others. I love how the author Robert Mulholland put it. I don't think I have the slide up there. In this book, The Invitation to a journey. He says this, spiritual formation is the process of being conformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. So the goal isn't that we just receive Jesus and that our sins are forgiven so that we can be saved from hell, right? And just hang on tight as we can until heaven, until we get to go to heaven, right? That's not, that's not the goal. And unfortunately, that is an incomplete story that We've been told a lot of times, and we, we know it pretty well. Oftentimes it gets told as the whole story. But we're being called into a much grander story than that. 
Maybe your brain is swirling around right now, okay? There's been a lot of, I've thrown a lot of information at you, okay? So your brain's like, okay, Genesis, James's guitar, Jesus heals us. I'm called to image God, transformed by Jesus, not for myself, but for other people. Got it, okay, okay. What does this mean for you, okay? And in a short book um, that we all read together, I think like three summers ago, a creative minority. Everybody should read it. It's less of a book and more of a pamphlet. It's like 60 pages. Like anybody can do it. John Tyson and Heather Grizzle, the officers, do an amazing job of bringing into focus most of what we've talked about already this morning. Okay? So pay close attention. This is going to kind of just bring it all together. Okay. Bring the slide up. Here's what it says. It says, the full biblical story is that we are created in God's image. The world that God created was perfect and he loved it abundantly. We were tempted by Satan and sin, causing a separation from our loving God. Jesus died and rose again to redeem us. And, and now we have the privilege of joining God in the renewal of all things here on earth. Yet many Christians have been taught only the half story, that we were born sinners and our focus should be on getting ourselves and others to heaven. To bypass the notion that we were made in God's image or his desire for restoration of the world is to miss a crucial part of this loving story for us. If we live out the fullness of God's story, we recognize that we were made in God's image and our purpose is to join God in the renewal of all things. Every person has dignity and every job matters because it is part of God's good creation. That's good, right? Yeah. It's beautiful. And it captures for us our identity and our calling. Every person has dignity, right? Every job that we have and we do, we and other people, matters, right? There's not jobs that are more important than other jobs. CEOs are not more important than people that flip burgers or haul out the trash or build houses. Everybody's work has meaning. Every person has meaning. God is actually renewing the world and he's looking for partners in his project. And the invitation of Jesus from the beginning of his ministry was to join him in those efforts to bring re the renewal of all things, right? This is the idea of his kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. The invitation of Jesus was to join him in bringing the kingdom of God to earth through doing good, right? Isaac explored this idea a couple weeks ago. We watched a Bible project video. But the idea is that heaven and earth are overlapping. We don't just get saved so that we can be, go to heaven and go to a different place and forget about this earth that's going to burn. We get to partner with him in bringing in his kingdom and reuniting kingdom, the kingdom of heaven and earth back together again. And if you've read the book of Revelation, guess what happens? The earth doesn't get destroyed. It gets made new. Heaven and earth reunite and there's one place. And it's like it was in Eden. So we get to join him in that project. So every time that we properly image God by loving the way that he loves and doing the kinds of things that he would do if he were us, we are bringing renewal to the world. That's what we're invited into. Which brings me to our final point. I'll just kind of expand on this a bit more. We were created to do good so that others will see God's goodness. We were created to do good so that others will see God's goodness. And Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.9. For you, were a chosen, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, 
you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And then Paul says this and expands on this idea a little bit. He, he echoes it and expands on it. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I love this because it, can, it again, it connects, us back to, it connects us back to Genesis, right? We are both uniquely made and made to do good things that only we can do, right? We're both uniquely made and to do things that are unique to what we are supposed to do through the work that God calls us to do. And this again affirms that we are God's best work, right? We're his masterpiece. This idea of a masterpiece, what that word actually means is that it's, it's his pinnacle. It's his very best work. So each one of you are God's very best work. You ever like, kids are like, your kids will ask you who's your favorite and you're like, you're all my favorite. Like you're all my best stuff. It's, it's true and the same for God. Like all my kids are my favorite. They're all my masterpieces. They're all my best work. Which means this. It means he didn't mess up. Like he didn't make you wrong. That's hard to hear. He didn't make you, God didn't make you wrong. He made you unique and he made you different, but he didn't make you wrong. And when he made each of us, he made each of us to do a unique good work in the world, to show the world what God is like, to image God. So you get to show the world, you get to show the world what God is like in a way that only you can, which is really special. You get to show the world, show God, or show the world a picture of God that only you can. And the question is, how does this happen? And I would say this, that God uses your unique story. And sometimes we look at our stories as deficiencies or as weaknesses. Does anybody do that? Everybody think back to their story and go, oh, my story, like God, I don't know that God can use me because of my story. But we look at our brokenness and we look at our past as something that makes us unusable or broken or less valuable or less, maybe less loved by God. And I'm here to tell you that that couldn't be further from the truth. Like, not only does God love you completely and unconditionally, he is and he will use you to bring goodness and renewal and flourishing into the world. Okay, so this is something I want you to consider. And you can go ahead and bring up that next slide. A little Venn diagram. I'm a nerd, so I made a Venn diagram of this message to kind of capture it. So you can pull that up now, and we can just kind of keep our eyes on this. And here's what I want you to consider. What if, what if the way that you were made, the life that you've lived, failures and all, all of that included, along with where God has placed you, has perfectly determined how God wants to use you to bring goodness and renewal into the world. I'll say that again. What if the way that God made you, the life that you've lived, failures included, all that, along with where God has placed you, has perfectly determined how God wants to use you to bring goodness and renewal into the world? And maybe you want to drop, maybe you can take a picture of that, you can write that down, whatever, keep that in mind. But I'm going to walk back through what this diagram means. Okay, I'm just going to walk through each little piece and expand on it just a little bit. All right. The way you were made. Okay, so you were made with gifts and passions and personality and a temperament, right? Like you love 
and get excited about different stuff than other people, correct? Yes, everybody? Like, the person next to you, they might be, like, totally into, I don't even know, World of Warcraft. I don't know. And you're, like, into classic cars. And, yeah. I, I don't know how that all works, but God, God reconciles it. Okay. Um, you have gifts and passions and temperaments. And, and they've landed you, like, in a current vocation. And they've also landed you in a place where you have interests and passions and hobbies, right? And here's the deal. I want you to hear this. You don't have to be anyone else. You don't have to be anyone else. Not being gifted like someone else is not to your detriment. Like God's not surprised by it and he's not disappointed that you are not like somebody else. Becoming more like Jesus means that you're just becoming your truest self. And the person that is best, best equipped to do the work that God is calling you to do as an individual. Remember, you're expressing just a sliver of who God is, right? So you will look like and do something possibly that's totally different than any other person, than anybody else. And that's okay. And it's actually really good. And it's the way that God intended it. So maybe you've said to yourself, I'm not, maybe you've done this, I've done this. I'm not as smart as that person. Anybody, anybody said that before? I'm not as smart as that person. I'm not as I'm not as good looking as that person. I'm not as charismatic as person. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Fill in the blank. We probably all have a thing where we said, yeah, that person, like I'm, I'm not like them. But here's the, here's the truth. God doesn't need you to be any of that. God needs and wants you to be you. God wants you to be you. He wants you to be who he made you to be. He wants you to become your truest self in him. All right, let's touch on the next part of the circle or the Venn diagram. You're the life that you've lived. Okay, I want you to hear this. Your past, your past does not destroy your witness. Okay? God has the ability to redeem even your biggest failures. And you can minister to people that no one else could ever minister because of them. Amen? Your pain and your weakness is a chance for God to display his power, right? His power is made perfect in your weakness, was what Paul said. Guys, I'm, I work at a church, right? I'm a pastor. Like I, I teach sometimes. I led worship for 15 years. In the ministry, doing the things. I was raised in a family of alcoholics and drug addicts, and we were really, really poor. And when I was growing up, I had, from the time I was little, anxiety and a stage fright. Just the fear of being in front of people and being put on the spot. Um, and here I am. Like, I'm, I'm here, Right? And it's not because of something, it's not some victory story of, of who I am that's put me here and had me be usable. It's not because of my strength. It's, be, it's because of my brokenness and my story and the mess of my past that God is actually able to use me for some of the best work that I do. I'm able to talk to people that some of you will never be able to talk to. I'm able to connect with people because of my past in a way that some of you would never be able to connect with people. It's not, not this, I'm not even about this stuff, not about like, not the church stuff. I'm talking about the whole rest of the week, the other 176 hours or how, I don't know, 177 hours there is in a week. 
all that stuff. And you're able to do the same. It's the other way around. You're able to talk to and connect with people that I would never be able to. It's just a fact, right? And your past helps you in that. Okay, where God's placed you. Here's the thing. God has placed you where he's placed you. We all have circles of influence, right? We all have different stations in life. Maybe you are a stay-at-home mom right now. Maybe you work a nine-to-five job. Maybe you are broke as a joke. Maybe you are independently wealthy and you want to be my best friend and we can hang out on your boat. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. Whatever it is, God has placed you, all right? He's placed you in a neighborhood where you live. He's given you neighbors there, right? He's given you coworkers that you work with. He's put you and your kids in a school and in a sport where you get to connect with all of the other parents that are there. And there are places that you regularly visit, the coffee shop, the stores that you go to, the restaurants that you go to, all of those places, places that only you are and only you go, that I will never be and the person next to you will never be and they will never go and they will never do that. You are placed right there, right where you are to minister. And here's the thing. God wants to use you. He wants to use you. Like right now, you are his masterpiece. You are his best work. He did not make a mistake when he made you. He has prepared good work for you to do in advance. Each of you in this room are ministers of the gospel. Every one of you said you're a royal priesthood, right? Everywhere you go, you're a minister who gets to bring goodness and life and flourishing and image God wherever you go. Every place. All of you. You're all ministers. Say that. I am a minister. I don't, I don't think I believe you. I am a minister. You are ministers of the gospel. Everywhere you go, he's put you. Like you can minister in a way that nobody else can because only you're there. You're the only one there. You're the only one that's at the place you go. Okay. We're going to move to just a little application. We're going to shift gears a little bit. And this is going to feel weird. This is going to feel like it's out of right field. And I don't have a ton of time to unpack it, but here's the first application. Abide with Jesus. All right? Here's the thing. The more that you are, the starting point of all of this is imaging God, right? The more that you are with Jesus, the more that you become like Jesus, right? The more that you are with Jesus, the more you become like Jesus. So this language of abiding comes from John 15 and some older translations. The newer translations say remain, but this word abide is where we get the word abode from, right? Like home. It's the idea of making your home with Jesus and Jesus making his home with you. And then he, he paints this picture of a vine and a branch, right? He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Be connected to me and I will source you, right? Apart from me, what can you do? Does anybody know? What can you do apart from Jesus? Nothing. But what can you do when you're connected to him? You can bear fruit, right? That's twofold. That's good things, right? That's doing good things. But it's also the fruit of a changed life. What's the other place we see fruit? We already alluded to it, but the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and all of that. And we are, when we are with Jesus, I don't exactly know how it works. We become like him. The result of just being in his presence through scripture and through praying, just resting with him, is that we get transformed from the inside out. 
so that we don't just have to try to be loving and try to be patient, but it's who we are. He reshapes us from the inside out so that we just are a person of love, that love flows out. We don't have to conjure it up. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to try to be it. We just are it like an apple tree that grows apples and doesn't have to try. We're going to be people that love and we don't even have to try. So abide with Jesus. That's the beginning point. If you already abide with Jesus, abide with Jesus more. <laughs> like cut an hour out of Netflix every night, right? Like that's not going to hurt. That's just going to make you more like Jesus. <laughs> okay, the second application point. Oh, let me add to that. Here's the thing. Whether you're a doctor or a contractor or a nurse or an artist or a photographer or a endocrinologist, I don't know, I'm just making up stuff now. That might be a job. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's, you get to bring glory to God by, number one, doing that work because God is all those things. He's a creator and a builder and a healer. If you're a doctor, a nurse, he's a heal, Jesus is a healer. You get to do those jobs and that brings glory to God. But also that, you get, to, you get to be like Jesus when you do them. Sometimes it's not about what you do, it's about the way that you do it, right? I can, I can build a guitar or I can build a guitar like that. I can be a nurse that just fills, does the thing, the checklist of what nurses do, or I can be a nurse, whatever nurses do. I don't know what nurses do. They're, they're awesome. We need them. Or you can be a nurse that loves people in Jesus' name and images God with every tiny little part of what you do. Amen? Yeah, we're all called to that. We can image God with what we do and in the midst of what we do. Okay, the second thing. Ask God how he, will, he can use you where you are. Okay. Your most, I don't really do these little taglines, but I'm doing it though. Your most important ability is your availability. <laughs> your most important ability is your availability. Maybe you're not sure where to start or what God wants you to do, but by starting, by starting by asking God, what do you want me to do? That's the best thing that you can do. Making yourself available for what God wants to do is the most important thing that you can do. Here's one thing I've learned over the years and more recently probably, is that God's already at work. God's already at work. You don't have to create stuff to do. He's already doing stuff and you just get to come alongside him in this project, right? He's already working in somebody's heart and somebody's life and he's just waiting for you to come alongside him and partner in the good work that he's already doing. So you get to love somebody in Jesus' name and you don't have to force it or make it happen or manipulate. You get to just go, all right, Jesus, you're doing that. They're saying yes. They're asking questions. They want to know about you. I'm just going to show them. And then I'm going to tell them if they ask me, right? One of the things I do every morning and almost every morning, and, and maybe you could start doing this too, I don't know, is before I even get out of bed, I just pray. I say, Lord, would you use me today? Whatever you want to do, I want to do it. Who do you want me to love the way that you love today? Help me to be aware of your presence, Holy Spirit. So I can do the good work. The good work that you want me to do. So maybe you can pray that in the morning when you wake up. It's, the, it's one of the best parts of my day. I don't want to get out of bed yet, so I'm like, man, if I just stay in bed and I pray, it redeems it. It makes it more spiritual. <laughs> Ashley's making coffee for us. I'm just laying in bed, praying, trying to make it spiritual. But it's the best, it's one of the best parts of my day. Okay, so a few final thoughts. 
um, as we close up and prepare to take communion. Okay. If you walk away with one thing today, I hope it's this. Hear this. You're loved. You are loved by God. You are loved by God. You are loved by God. You're his best work. You're his masterpiece. You are not a mistake. You're not a mistake. He didn't mess up when he made you. You are as he intended. And he intended from the beginning to use you to do good things. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to image him in the world. And in doing so, you will bring goodness and renewal into the world. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to do something potentially here. A little bold. Going to require some boldness. Going to require a little faith, right? But if there's something in your life that you need Jesus to heal, that you need Jesus to change, I don't know what it is. It could be a sickness. It could be an illness. It could be a character thing. It could be whatever. It could be a situation. If there's something in your life that you need Jesus to heal, would you raise your hand? Yeah. There's people all over the room. We need a touch from Jesus. We need to be healed and restored. Okay. Look around, people, everybody. See, we have a lot of hands up, don't we? Can I do something? And maybe for those of you who didn't raise hands who probably should have, but you didn't. Okay, we're going to pray. We're going to just pray for you really quick that the Lord would move in your life. Okay. So Jesus, maybe extend a hand if you want to, to wherever, any direction. <laughs> Jesus, I pray healing and I pray life and I pray a work of your Holy Spirit. God, that you would redeem and renew and work and transform the situation situations that we find ourselves in, Lord. I ask that you would do work, that you would change us in a way that we cannot change ourselves. Work in these people's lives, Lord. Show yourself, reveal yourself. Help them to image you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, one more thing I'm going to ask you to do, right? Maybe you're not sure how or where to start, but you know that you want God to use you. And you want God to, maybe you want God to use you in a new and fresh way that he hasn't before. You've been stagnant and you're like, I don't know, I'm just going through the motions. But you want, you're like, I'm done with that. I want Jesus to use me in a new and fresh way. I want Jesus to do something in and through me. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Yeah, all over the place. All over the place. You were made for that. Let me pray for you. Extend a hand if you want. Lord, I ask that every person in this room would see themselves as a son and a daughter who has great value, has something to offer in every sphere and space in which they they place their feet. Use them. Help them to see with your eyes the places that they are to do work. Help them not to force it, Lord, not to manipulate not to jump the gun, not to be too fast. I spilled my water. That was scary. (laughs) But Lord, help them, Jesus, to walk alongside you and to partner with you to do the good work that you're already beginning to do. 
Empower them with your Holy Spirit. Give them what they need. God, they already have it. But infuse their work with your Holy Spirit to bring goodness and flourishing and life in what they do. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the close, um, we're going to take communion together, which is what we do every week here at New Hope. Um, we take communion as a reminder of the lengths that God has, has gone to be with us, to have relationship with us, to bring us back to a place of relationship like it was in the garden, right? Genesis, how appropriate. What a reminder of what God did. That's why he went to the cross. That's why his blood was spilled and his flesh was broken for us to have relationship with him, to make, to make it like it was so that we can experience relationship with him like it was in the garden. And so we take the body and the blood as a reminder and as a gift. And as is our custom, we will read this prayer of confession together before we take communion. Let's read this together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I admit that I have been wrong in thought, in motive, and in action. Let's pause for reflection for just a moment. only by your grace that I have been freed from my guilty conscience. Please forgive me. Help me to live purely today. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Well, a couple reminders. Did my microphone die? Oh, we're good. Okay. A couple reminders as um, we come up to take communion. The band's going to play. There's going to be three spaces here on the sides, in the middle, I'm doing it. Ashley, would you help me with that? And there's another Steve. Yeah. George, would you also jump up? Yep. Um, as we do a couple things of note, this is an open table, which means you don't have to be a member here uh, to take communion. Um, the communion cups are stacked one on top of another, the, the bread on the bottom and the juice on the top. So if you're wondering, what's the deal here? That's how that is. Um, yeah. And so as you're ready, as you've reflected, make your way up and we will um, hand communion to you. And the, the people who are giving our community say something simple. This is Jesus' body and blood given for you. So and when you're ready, um, feel free to come up and we will take communion together.